afternoon and welcome into a Friday edition of PFTPM. She's Shereen Williams. I'm Mike Florio, and we're here to get you ready, ostensibly, for the NFC and AFC championship games. However, Shereen, I'm having a flashback to a day in October, I believe it was, when we had to tear up the outline because there was some dysfunction in Houston. Well, tear up the outline. There's some dysfunction (laughs) in Houston. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm better than the Texans. Let's put it that way. Houston, we have so many problems we can't keep track of them. That's the new statement, not the old cliche that we've heard over the years. And here's a new one. And I'm a little bit hesitant to go all in in response to this news because I really like Josh McCown. I think he's a great person. I think he's a greatly underrated quarterback. And I think he will eventually be a great NFL coach. But the news that he's been interviewed by the Texans to be their head coach, their head coach with no coaching experience, with no sign that he's ready to be the head coach of anything above maybe mid-level college. I mean, he's played a long time. Great. But this speaks to, and again, I say all this fully aware, that Josh McCown can end up being a Super Bowl winning coach, and I will root for him when he is a head coach. Not if, but when. But to have it happen now, amid all of the craziness, amid all of the dysfunction, amid all of the drama, at a time when everyone around the league is watching the Texans, Shireen, and asking, is there any chance they get it? Something like this provides the answer. They don't. There is no institutional self-awareness. This is a middle finger by Jack Easterby. I almost did the actual gesture. This is a middle finger (laughs) by Jack Easterby to the world that we're going to do whatever I can convince Cal McNair to do. That's how I read it. Well, first, thank you for not getting us thrown off the air today and for the future. I appreciate that. (laughs) Second of all, I don't know that the Texans know what the Texans are doing. Mike, I... I do not think this was for an actual head coaching job. I don't. Of course, it is the Texans, but, but I but really you gotta think get that, that you got to get that message out there. If it's not, then you got to make it clear no that question. he's not being interviewed for head coach. No question. But I think they're down. I think we're going to see Eric Bieniemy, Leslie Frazier, or Matt Eberflus get this job. I really believe that, and I think you're going to see Josh McCowan get the quarterback's job. I think he and Deshaun Watson hit it off. And they are falling behind, Mike, frankly, in the in the coaching search for assistant coaches, as it were, because all the other jobs have been filled and teams have changed assistant coaches. They're moving on. And so I think this was fully to be the quarterback's coach of this team. I don't think he's going to be the next Norm Van Brocklin to go straight from football into coaching. But again, Mike, it's the Texans, and they've screwed up pretty much everything over the last year or year and a half or whatever it's been since they started making trades and doing dumb stuff, and it continues. So I don't know that the Texans know what they're doing, Mike. Norm Van Brocklin, the original head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, and he and Fran Tarkenton hated each other, culminating in the trade (laughs) that sent Tarkenton to the Giants before he was traded back to the Vikings. But look, I... Okay, if Eberflus is the guy, why not just hire him? The Colts are done. You can hire him. You don't have Good. to wait. Yes. Be enemy or Frazier, you have to wait at, at least until after this weekend, if not two weeks and three days from now, the day after the Super Bowl. But who's interviewing him? If it is Bienemy, if it is Frazier, 
that's going to get the job and they're just waiting. Don't they understand how stupid it looks that someone would be interviewing a position coach without the future head coach involved? This is Al Davis later years Raiders stuff where they go out and hire the staff for you and you just come in and you take who they give you and it really neuters the head coach before he's even walked through the door. And even if he's on board with it, it creates the perception that someone else is pulling the strings, not the head coach. Oh, I think you're forgetting about someone, Mike. It was more recent than that. How about Jerry Jones hiring Jason Garrett for an unknown position before he hired Wade Phillips? And, of course, Jason Garrett was the head coach in waiting and ended up taking over for Wade Phillips. So, yes, that's exactly what ended up happening in Dallas. That's what Al Davis has done, and I think that's fully what the Texans are doing. And so if you're Eric Bieniemy or Leslie Frazier, do you say no to this job? Well... I, I I guess not because well I, I think if you're Frazier, you don't because when's the window ever going to be open for you again, right? He's been a former head coach for six, seven years now. As long as Mike Zimmer's been the coach of the Vikings, that's how long it's been since Leslie Frazier was a head coach. So you got to take what you can get when you can get it if you're him. If you're Biennemi, I think you can still wait. I think you can still wait. And the key for Biennemi is I want to know Deshaun Watson is on board with me completely and totally before I would take that job. But I just think that it's a horrible perception for the Texans to interview Josh McCown and not make it clear that it's for something other than head coaching job. And there's no reason that anyone even has to know about this. It's not like they had to request permission from some other team to interview Josh McCown. And I don't know how the record keeping works, but I think there's probably a way to keep it secret that you talk to him, especially if you're not talking to him about being the the head coach of the team. So the whole thing is odd to me, and it's not surprising because these are your Houston Texans folks. And again, I love Josh McCown, and I think he'll be a great coach someday. But this is not the ideal way to enter the NFL as a coach, this idea that they're interviewing you as a head coach when you've never even served as an assistant coach at any level of football. You've just been a player since 2003. So I don't know where it goes from here, Shireen. Clearly, Eric Bieniemy wants to be a head coach. Patrick Mahomes echoing today how crazy it is that Bieniemy doesn't have a job. I just think this news coming out at a time when, when – Everyone is saying, what about the enemy? What about the enemy? It just makes a, a weird situation even weirder. Yeah, and I hope the Texans hire Eric the enemy. Alex Smith said yesterday, I think he called it uh, ridiculous, and Patrick Mahomes today called it crazy, and it is. We all thought that Eric the enemy was going to be hired in this cycle, and unless the Texans do it, he won't be, and he's been passed over and passed over and passed over. And I don't know what it's going to take for Eric Bieniemy to get a head coaching job. And for those who say he doesn't interview well, that's all well and good. But you look at some of the head coaches who have done interviews, and we absolutely know they didn't interview well. That's not why Eric Bieniemy doesn't have a head coaching job. That's not a good excuse for not having him hired by somebody at some point over the last couple of years. So I really hope, Mike, that he ends up getting this job in Houston. I think the numbers then look better on minority coaches in this cycle. I mean, we've heard a lot about it since the Eagles made their hire. 
but I just think it's, it's better for the team. I think he's going to be a really good head coach, and I think that's probably the best that the Texans can do uh, in this hiring cycle is hire Eric Bieniemy. I think he'll be a success there if he gets that chance with Deshaun Watson as his quarterback, if that happens. It was fear of imminent litigation filed by Johnny Cochran and Cyrus Mary in 2002 that prompted the NFL to implement the Rooney Rule. It will take, I believe, fear of imminent litigation or reality of actual litigation to change a situation that involves teams checking boxes and complying with the interview requirement but not actually improving the numbers. There is a point where you don't need a smoking gun. You don't need a Donald Sterling tape to prove that there is a bias that is baked into the cake. The numbers prove it out. 70% of the players are black. 35% of the assistant coaches are black. And the percentage of head coaches who ultimately bubble up through the pipeline and become in charge of a team is so low that the numbers scream it out. And the more they go through the motions and ultimately, look, there's always going to be a white head coach who is qualified for every vacancy. There will always be one. And there is always a black head coach who is qualified for every vacancy. And it's like flipping a coin, Shireen, and having it come up heads over and over and over and over again. There's a point where it's not coincidence. That's what the NFL is dealing with. And the other reality, these billionaires don't like to be told what to do. They don't like us telling them what to do. They don't like fans telling them what to do. They don't like anyone telling them what to do. And I think there's a certain element of stubbornness, not racial bias, just stubbornness that creeps into it. Yeah, Mike, four minority coaches among the 31 that have head coaches right now, and that's just not good enough. It's not good enough by any team in this league. It's not good enough by the league, and and it needs to change. And, you know, these incentives obviously haven't done much to, to push those numbers up. And hopefully in the future, in the next hiring cycle and the one after that, we do see uh, better numbers. But but I'm disappointed with, with what we've seen. Frankly, again, if the Texans hire Leslie Frazier or Eric Bieniemy, I think it looks much better. But if they don't, if they end up with a white head coach, here we go again. It's the same thing as we saw last hiring cycle and the one before that and the one before that. I just wonder how much pressure is going to be placed on Cal McNair by the league office. And I wonder what will be dangled. We know that stuff happens behind the curtain. Will there be a Super Bowl awarded to Houston at some point down the road? as the quid pro quo and hey oh that doesn't happen (laughs) oh okay it doesn't happen Uh, we're gonna find out on sunday who will be playing in the super bowl to be played in tampa and good news for the chiefs bad news for the bills patrick mahomes clears the concussion protocol and we know this because he was allowed to say so himself once you're out of the protocol you can talk to the media he spoke to the media he is good to go now he can wake up with a headache tomorrow And as Brett Favre surmised a few days ago, it's not like he's going to raise his hand and say, I don't feel so good. That doesn't happen very often. And when you have the Super Bowl in your grasp, you're probably going to be inclined to not say anything. I'm not saying that's right. It's just human nature. But, Shireen, this is huge for the the Chiefs, obviously. And the question I have, how's the toe? Because we've forgotten about that. And will it change in any way Patrick Mahomes' willingness to tuck the ball and run, knowing that he just had a concussion last week. 
Yeah, Mike, we don't know how the toe is. I mean, he was listed as limited all week, but he was listed with the toe and the concussion. So we don't know how, how much the toe played into that because of the concussion, he was limited. So would he have been limited by the toe if he didn't have the concussion? That's what we don't know. So he blew it off. Andy Reid's blown it off. He did say on Monday it really hurt, but it had healed. I find that hard to believe that just four days later that toe is suddenly healed. I mean, we see players all the time with turf toe who are out for weeks. So it's going to be really interesting, I think, to watch early in this game and see how Patrick Mahomes is moving on the field. Can he get out of it? Can he escape? Can he run? Had 36 yards the last time these two teams played. We know how good he is with floating back in the pocket and buying time, buying time, and then making throw down the field. Is he going to be able to do that? We're going to find that out early in this game. I think Leslie Frazier is going to put pressure on him early in this game to find out just where he is. If you get beat early, then you say, okay, he's good to go. He got out of that pressure and ran or whatever he did, and, and you know, and you know to maybe change your game plan a little bit. But I think they're going to test him early, Mike. I watched that footage we were showing very carefully. There was no favoring of that foot as we saw last week during the game. But also, if you watch closely, he never opened it up. That's the question. When you plant and push hard as you are accelerating and running at top speed, what will happen to that toe? It was very, very careful and deliberate as he as he moved in the video that we saw. Let's have proof of clearing the concussion protocol. Let's hear from the man himself, Patrick Mahomes, from earlier today, talking about where he currently stands two days from the AFC Championship. I mean, you want to be out there, um, but you have, to, you have to go through the protocol and you have to do everything the right way. I mean, uh, you have to look at it long-term as much as you look at it short-term. And uh, with, with going to the doctors, talking to all the doctors and going through the testing, uh, we, we have the belief that, I, that this will be no, no lingering effects and that I'll be able to go out there and be myself and be who I am every single week. So, again, great news for the Chiefs. And, look, even if you're a Bills fan, you want to go best on best. You don't want to, to beat Chad Henney. You want to beat Patrick Mahomes and punch your ticket back to the Super Bowl for the first time since 1993. Because if you do that, you go into the Super Bowl with the confidence necessary to win it the next week. When you beat the other team's absolute best in a game like this, I think it gives you that lift that you can get it done the next time around, something that Bills fans – and I suspect – after going 0 for 4 30 years ago, that if the Bills do win, those fans are going to experience two weeks of dread while they wait and wait for what could be 0 for 5, I suspect. Because I may have gone through something like that three years ago this weekend, Maybe. thinking, do I, really, do I really want two weeks of worrying about 0-4 becoming 0-5. So be careful what you wish for, Bills fans, because it could be a long couple of weeks. And on the back end of the Super Bowl, and I know that's a loser's mentality, but I'm a loser. <laughs> it's 0-5 <it's> <laughs> is worse than 0-4. You don't want that 0-5, Mike. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes has not had a really, really great game like we know Patrick Mahomes has had since December 13. That's the last time he passed for over 300 yards. Uh, and he has eight touchdowns and four interceptions in his last four games. He's probably due. He always plays well in the AFC Championship game. We've seen it over the last two 
years. He had three touchdowns in each of those games and no interceptions. He steps up. He plays his best in the biggest game. So if that toe is is even close to 100%, the Bills are going to have their work cut out for them to beat Patrick Mahomes this week. NFC Championship, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, both are completely healthy. No issues there. The biggest injury question coming into that game, Antonio Brown. Earlier this week, day-to-day, game-time decision, now he's out. Bruce Arian said today there's no reason putting him on a plane, having the knee swell up more. We're just going to shut him down and wait for the next game, if, of course, there is a next game. And, Shereen, I'm not concerned. Antonio Brown was there primarily to be injury insurance for Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. They're healthy. Without Antonio Brown, Scotty Miller, Tyler Johnson, guys that Tom Brady trusts. He threw the ball to them on third downs on the key drive that put the Buccaneers up 23-20 over the Saints. That third and 11 catch by Tyler Johnson, a thing of beauty. Scotty Miller, a 29-yard gain that ultimately got the Bucs in field goal range and they took the lead and held the lead, a thing of beauty. We see Scotty Miller make plays like that all year long. So no Antonio Brown, no problem. They got Mike Evans. They've got Gronk. They've got Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, Chris Godwin, Tyler Johnson, Scotty Miller. I think they'll be fine. They're so loaded at the receiver position, Mike. When you look at week 17, when Mike Evans had that knee injury earlier, A.B. came in and had perhaps his best game with the Buccaneers in that game and really played well. And and so we went into the first week of the playoffs going, is Mike Evans going to play? Is he 100%? But you weren't really worried about it because you had A.B. in case he wasn't. It's the same situation now. And frankly, Mike Evans is better than Antonio Brown right now. So I know Antonio Brown has led the team in targets over the last five weeks. Part of that was trying to get his incentive in that Week 17 game when Brady really targeted him to make sure he got his money. I get that. But Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are pretty good guys to have there as your starters. And you got, as you said, Scotty Miller and Tyler uh, Johnson. So I don't think they're going to miss a step. He only played 27 snaps, had one catch last week. So I think the Bucks are fine with or without him. Maybe they're better with him. I don't know. But, but I think they're just fine. And that's not going to have anything to do with whether they win or lose this game this week, Mike. Good news defensively for the Buccaneers. Vita Vea is back. He suffered a serious injury in week five. We just assumed we wouldn't see him again this year. It was a surprise this week when he returned to practice. And now today, officially added back to the roster, gives them a very, very competent run stuffer, which they may need, whether it's Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, A.J. Dillon running into the middle of the line, Vita Vea, if he is healthy and he may have to knock off some rust. Maybe this is more about getting him ready for the next level. If they get to the next level, then it is about emptying the tank on Sunday. But still, they're better off with him. You put him in the rotation. You give him a certain number of snaps, and then off you go, and we'll see if the Buccaneers can win. One last coaching point before we take off. Matt Patricia returns to the New England Patriots as uh, an assistant on the coaching staff. Who knows what his role is going to be? Bill Belichick's not real big on telling the world what someone's title is. Uh, But Patricia landing on his feet back where he started. Didn't have to go through a few other teams before he found his way back to New England. They have a ton of respect for him there. He was a great coach with the Patriots. It just didn't work out for him in Detroit. It hasn't worked out for anyone in Detroit over the last 60 years. Yeah, but he's been good in New England, Mike, in that role, and he's bringing an analytics assistant back with him. So I think Bill Belichick is happy with this development. He's got his guys back around him, and I I truly believe Matt Patricia will make that defense better than what it was this season, Mike. 
Um, and, uh, you know, if only he had had his players bite off kneecaps of their opponents in Detroit. Maybe that was the thing that was missing. Maybe it would have worked out. All right, let's take a break. We're going to do a rare PFTPM draft. We're stealing from the morning show of the most important non-quarterbacks in the conference championship round that gets started on Sunday afternoon. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. Some Buffaloes literally making the trek to Kansas City this weekend. Not really. Not really. But, they're, they're, you know, I don't know how many Bills fans are going to find their way into that stadium. There's only so many seats, and I can't imagine Chiefs fans giving up those tickets, although tickets are available on the secondary market. There was an article from Charles Robinson earlier this week, Shireen, that, that the, the prices are skyrocketing, as you can imagine, whether you're a Chiefs fan, Bills fan, Packers fan. Bucks fan or just a fan of football, it's going to be very expensive to be one of the select few to get into these stadiums. All right, when you get into the stadiums or when you turn on your TV to watch the games or whatever other device you watch games on nowadays, the most important non-quarterbacks. This is a draft like we do in the morning. However, we will admit this is like one of those cooking shows where they've already baked the cake. We know what our picks are. <laughs> so, so the control room would be ready to go. So, Shireen, I'll let you make the first pick, even though there is no mystery, because I'm looking right at all of our picks as we prepare to disclose them. Well, we talked about A.B. being out, Mike, and that means more time and more snaps for Scotty Miller. And he came up with two big catches, one in each of the – the playoff games, you talked about the, the big catch that he had, the 29-yarder. He also had a 15-yarder against the Washington football team. Those are his only two catches, Mike, in the postseason. But he was very effective in the regular season. He actually led the team in yards per catch, over 15 yards per catch, led the entire team on that. 33 catches, 501 yards, three touchdowns. He was fourth in the regular season behind Mike Evans, Godwin, and Gronk in catches. I just think he's going to be a big part of this game. Tyler Johnson is too, but Tyler Johnson only had uh, 12 catches in the regular season. I know that Tom Brady trusts Scotty Miller. I think Scotty Miller's going to have a big game and could be the X factor in this game, Mike. One of the fascinating things about Scotty Miller, he had that long touchdown against the Vikings right out of the bye week that kind of popped things open for the Bucks. And I remember looking at the play percentage participation and the total snaps, and it was like five snaps, I think, for Scotty Miller, and one of them went for that long touchdown. All right, the first one for me, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes' security blanket, the guy who's always open, the guy who it's almost impossible to cover. If they take away Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey is going to make his catches right down the middle. We see it happen over and over again, about 15 yards, turns upfield, runs five or ten more. That's Travis Kelsey. He needs to have a big game. He needs to get open. He needs to find those soft spots in the Bills' defense to keep things moving, especially if there's going to be any type of aggravation of that toe. We can't have Patrick Mahomes running around, and Kelsey needs to give him a target that he can get to without having to buy time with his feet and maybe make that toe worse, Shireen. And he hasn't had a big game, Mike, in the postseason in the AFC Championship game yet, so he's due for one. They've done a good job of taking him away, so we'll see what the Bills can do against him. My second pick is going to be Devin Singletary, and I probably should have gone with Leslie Frazier, but I think this is going to be a high-scoring game, and I think the Bills really need to keep the ball away from Patrick Mahomes as much as they can. 
Singletary is the guy to do that, and he hasn't had a big game in the postseason. He hasn't big, had a big game, frankly, in a long time, perhaps all of this season. So I think he really needs to play well for the Bills to have a chance. And I know they're built around the pass, but I just think the Chiefs are a bit vulnerable against the run. When you look what they did in the regular season, 21st against a run, I think this is where they can be attacked and where the Bills can keep the ball and win the time of possession. And I think that's going to be important for the Bills in this game. Aaron Jones was a key player for the Packers last weekend against the Los Angeles Rams, and he had 99 yards rushing. They need Aaron Jones to have another big game in order to take some of the steam out of that Buccaneers defense. The Buccaneers defense, if it activates, it's almost like a video game where you do something a certain number of times and then you get better, like it just kind of explodes and it opens up and you're unstoppable. I feel like that's what will happen to the Buccaneers' defense if they have that moment where the the switch flips. And I think Aaron Jones can help kind of keep that from happening, take the steam out, keep the defense honest, and, and buy time and ultimately open up play action opportunities in the passing game. All right, who do you have next? Well, Aaron Jones didn't have a big game against the Buccaneers last time. That's because they ranked first in rushing. But I think Devin White needs to have a big game. The last time they played the Packers, they sacked Aaron Rodgers four times. They forced two interceptions. Of course, Devin White came up huge in the game against the Saints. Had the forced fumble, had the fumble recovery. Sorry, fumble recovery, not a forced fumble. An interception, 11 tackles, which was a franchise record. He was a huge part of why they beat the Saints last week. If they're going to beat the Packers this week, he's got to be a huge part of that game plan again, Mike. Chris Jones has to be a big part of the Kansas City defense. Remember how disruptive he was in the Super Bowl as the Chiefs were trying to eliminate that 10-point deficit, swatting down balls, just being a force of nature. That's what the Chiefs are going to need if they want to slow down the Bills' offense and harass Josh Allen. They need a big performance out of their very high-priced interior defensive lineman. All right, last one, Shereen, who do you have? Harrison Butker, and he has not been good with extra points this year. He's not been good with extra points in the regular season. In the postseason, he missed a field goal of 33 yards, which is, of course, the same distance as an extra point. But if they miss extra points in this game, Mike, they're going to be chasing points this entire game. They need him to make every one of his kicks, and he needs to be better at making extra points in this game. Last one for me, you alluded to the Devin White fumble recovery. The guy who forced it, Antoine Winfield Jr., that was the moment that everything flipped for the Buccaneers against the Saints. He can change momentum, and he needs to do it on Sunday. We're going to change gears. I spoke with Brandon Staley, the new Chargers head coach, earlier today. We're going to play that for you coming up next. Joining us now, the brand new coach of the Los Angeles Chargers by way of the Los Angeles Rams, where he was the defensive coordinator. It's Brandon Staley. Coach Staley, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me. Hey, I have to start with a very critical area of questioning, and we only ask the the hardest hitting of questions here in the PFT universe. (laughs) I was impressed that there was no tie worn by you during the introductory press conference. I'm a firm believer, no ties by coaches because they don't wear ties anymore on the sideline. How close did you come to wearing a tie for your introductory press conference? Not very close. Um, Besides being a huge Greg Popovich fan, um, uh, a direct um, order from Dean Spanos that we are not a tie operation here. So just following uh, following my boss's orders, but, uh, you know, very lucky that way. 
Well, that's good. And that's the right approach. It just looks unnatural. It feels unnatural. And it's your introduction to the fan base, to the media. And by all indications, you hit a home run with what you did on Thursday. And you hit a home run with the job you got. Look, every coach of a team in the NFL is going to say he got the best job available. You got the best job available. Tell us why you believe it truly is the best job that was available this cycle. You know, Mike, I think just possibility. I think that there's just a lot of possibility with this team being, you know, in this city, uh, being at the beginning of something. I think we're at the beginning of something with the Chargers. And then, you know, certainly, you know, what everybody is uh, well aware of this, you know, quarterback that we have, Justin Herbert, is just such an exciting young player. What he did expressing himself to the NFL, you know, that's just such a big component of the, of the job. And then we have a really good nucleus of players, you know, um, Mike, you know, on all, you know, three phases, you know, got a really good mix of youth and experience, you know, production um, both ways, you know, with young players and proven players. So I think that there's a really nice blend here. And I think that, you know, moving forward, we just have a really good opportunity. I want to back up a step because usually when a football coach invokes another coach as some sort of inspiration or source of admiration, it's a football coach, not a basketball coach. What is it about Greg Popovich that makes you want to kind of follow in his example? I just I think he's so global. I think he has command over just a lot besides just basketball, just leadership. Um, I just have loved how he brings people together, just have followed. You know, when you think about the Spurs, you think about Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili and then Tim Duncan. There's like these three people from all over the world that he brought together. And I think just the way he had a vision for you know, the players um, on that team, bringing them together from all over the world and how that they were going to play. They have a very unique style. And then just his coaching tree, the people in the NBA that have kind of learned from him. And, you know, you see what uh, he's doing, you know, on his staff, Becky Hammond, you know, just like, I just think this guy's so ahead of everybody. And he's just refreshing besides being an amazing coach. I think just his leadership, uh, just really huge fan. And um, I'm always trying to learn from him. He's never afraid to say what's on his mind. Is that an area where you believe you will emulate Coach Popovich? Well, I think uh, Greg has certainly earned the right to be that way. I, you know, I think if you went back a ways, you know, um, I think you, you know, you certainly have to earn that. You know, I think he definitely has. Uh, but I think that that's what's so refreshing about him. And I think that's why he's endeared himself to his players, because even though he's telling you, what's on his mind, you know that there's a deeper, deeper level of a relationship that allows him to speak his mind. And I think that that's what's always made him really unique. So I'm now envisioning a turn by Brandon Staley at some point. He's very nice and friendly and accommodating with the media now. Once he has some success, he's going to turn into kind of a prickly and sullen figure when dealing with the media, just like Popovich. Is that what we can look forward to? I don't think so. I think everybody's <laughs> got to be themselves, Mike. You know, uh, I, I try to tell people, you know, everyone's saying, hey, are you tired? Yet? You know, I think stamina is a good trait of mine. You know, I think I have stamina and I think that I have respect for people uh, who do a job. And, you know, I think that I think interacting with the media is such a integral part of being a head coach. And I think what that relationship means to me is, you know, you guys are the ones that, you know, give the fans the information. And I think that that's a special thing. And you have to take it seriously. So all I'm going to try and do is be myself and do the best I can. 
Well, I, I watched a lot of your press conference yesterday, and you were destined to be part of this world in some capacity. The image of the little kid with the newspaper and the cup of coffee reading about sports and soaking in everything he could. I was the same way. They wouldn't let me drink coffee, though. I was, I was eating Frosted Flakes instead. But it was the same idea. You soak it all in. You love it. You want to be part of it. You find a way to be part of it. And I think that, that that's one of the reasons why you strike me as somebody who has immense respect for everyone who's involved in it because – at the core, we've all got that same love of the sport. Yeah, I think it's what brings people together. I think that's why I love the NFL so much is because people that are in the NFL, regardless if you're a player, coach, in the media, it's just such a challenging profession. You know, it's so challenging. And that's what I think the people that are in it know what it requires. And I think that that's what brings you together and what makes it so amazing. So uh, I think anytime you're a part of this fraternity, whether you're a man or woman, like I said, player, coach, doesn't matter, uh, media, uh, you have something special. And, and, and I, I'm a big fan of that. And that's why I love the NFL so much. If I were able to get Brandon Staley from 2016 on the phone right now, defensive coordinator at John Carroll, and explain to him where he would be in five years, what would he say? I don't think he would be as surprised as everybody else. I think that Mike, it doesn't make sense to a lot of people, but I think the people that were with me in 2016, my players, our coaches, uh, the people that were with me, my family, uh, I think that they would have bet on it. Um, maybe not this quickly, but I bet you they bet that I could do it. And I've always had that belief in myself because I've always known what I've invested in my game. Uh, and that 2016 defense that I was a part of at John Carroll that's as good of a defense as I've ever been a part of. And I've been a part of two number one defenses in the NFL. Uh, and that was a special group of guys. And, you know, I had a strong sense that I could do it at this level. Uh, and I think that when I got to Chicago, Mike, you know, in 2017, it kind of solidified my belief system. And then, you know, I think what you do is over the course of the next four years, then you're just, you're getting ready, you know, I mean, like you're ready, but then, you know, when you get that opportunity, you're ready to go with it. And uh, I'm fortunate to be around a lot of great people, coaches, uh, players, and, uh, you know, so thankful for all of them to make it happen because, you know, that, that, that's why I'm here. When you say that going to Chicago in 2017 solidified your belief system, I read that as you saw that what you thought about football and how you would coach football and how you would teach football would work at the highest possible level. Is that the moment where it kind of yeah. fell together for you that, you know what, I belong here and I'm going to make it here? Yeah, I think, Mike, you just hit it because there is that transition that's real. Like there is that transition of, OK, now I'm coaching a pro player and that relationship is different, but it's still a relationship, which, you know, I feel like is a strength of mine. And I think once I got to see it for myself and be with the, you know, great coaches like a Vic Fangio, you know, meant, meant so much to me, a guy that's seen so much and Ed Donatel, you know, John Fox, all these people that mean a lot to me. I think once I got there with those guys and saw, you know, what the NFL really was like. Uh, you know, that was a big confidence builder. For anyone who has a high degree of success in any field, especially a public field like football, there's a point where the fire lights, the desire is born. Do you remember when you, and maybe it never happened consciously, but is there a time in your life where you, you personally kind of flipped that switch in your being that you were going to end up in a spot like this? Yeah, Mike, I think, you know, uh, as you may be aware, I had great parents who were my heroes. And I think that from a young age, uh, they were training, they were, you know, uh, 
my brothers and I to be like that, you know, to be the best versions of ourselves, to be competitors, uh, to invest all of our being into, you know, achieving our dreams. So I think that we were off to a great start. I think after I got done with my cancer stuff, um, I think that that was kind of a slingshot, you know, because when you get to the other side of it, uh, I think that there is a confidence, there's a strength that you have. And I think after that experience, I said, I know that I can go to where I want to go. I know I can do it. You know, I just have to get going to, to doing so. And I, and I think after that experience, it was kind of really a slingshot, uh, met my wife and, you know, just things started to happen from there. And it's great that you talk about that so openly. I praised Ron Rivera, the Washington coach, during his bout for being an inspiration for the folks who are going through it. But I also think someone who's been through it, who's beaten it, and who's used it, as you say, as a slingshot, can be a great inspiration to someone who's going through the rigors of treatment. And it can be hell. It can be worse than, than dying from the disease, some of the things people go through with chemotherapy and the dread of the next round of chemotherapy. So it's great that you, you speak so openly about it and share those experiences, because I really do think even 14 years after the fact, if my math is right, and it may not be, it still can inspire people who are going to be dealing with it now and moving forward. Yeah, it stays with you. You know, I hope, uh, you know, seeing Ron, you know, going through that this year and, and knowing some people that know him, uh, what it did for someone like me that's already been past it, but just, you know, uh, you know, there's just that empathy. And, and I think that that's something that's, uh, you know, awesome about having this platform is that hopefully there's young kids, boys and girls, maybe there's people that are older that are going through it. Uh, just you give them that just that little bit more, you know, that little bit of hope that they need that little bit of boost, you know, to finish, you know, what they've started, because that's most of it, just believing that you can do it and hanging tough. And, you know, having that support system and those examples to look at. And, you know, uh, I, I, you know, Ron, just uh, just an amazing job this year, you know, not with that team, you know, taking that team to the playoffs and just transforming that culture uh, and what better embodiment of everything than what he was going through. You mentioned your siblings and I heard you say yesterday you've got a twin brother. Is your twin brother identical or fraternal? We're fraternal. Uh, look like brothers, but not like twins. So, like, if you decide one day, just like during a preseason game or just for fun, to let him show up and coach for a day, would anyone notice? I, I think they'd notice pretty quick. Yeah. I think they'd notice <laughs> by by his decisions or by what he looks like? Maybe both. I, they, <laughs> I, my brother, they may like my brother a lot more than me. My brother's really sharp. So, I, you know, I, that would be dangerous for me because they, they may want to replace me with, with my brother. So, Who's giving you the best advice for the job that you now have? Uh, I think my wife. You know, I think my wife gave me the best advice. Uh, she gave me a lot of confidence going into it. And she said, don't you don't you be somebody you're not, you know, and, you know, just make sure that uh, you express yourself um, exactly the way you feel. And, and that'll be good enough. You know, and I think that going into this season, going into these interviews, uh, you know, she really gave me that that extra wink, that that extra smile um, that gives you all the all the lift that you need. So uh, I'd have to go with Amy. Give me give me an idea of what your normal work day is going to look like by way of when does the alarm go off? When do you roll out of bed? How many times do you hit the snooze button? When do you get in and how long are you going to be at the building on a, on a normal day? You know, Mike, I think uh, that's going to be one of the things I need to do quickly is establish a rhythm. Uh, I wouldn't say that we're there yet uh, right now, uh, but I think that 
the one thing I value in this life uh, is sleep because uh, I don't think any of us are very good without it. So, uh, you know, I would rather go to sleep earlier and be up a little bit earlier, but I am definitely not one of these four o'clock, you know, people. That's not me. Uh, but I do like to get my morning started, get a lift in, get a, get a run in and, and then get my day started, you know, cause to me that that's, that's how I operate it. The best is, is get to sleep a little bit earlier, get to wake up a little bit earlier, get a workout in and then get going. Defensive coach, wildly successful, former quarterback, now an NFL head coach. How involved will you be in the crafting, execution, and coaching of the offense as the head coach of the Chargers? Yeah, Mike, just I think it's so important that your team is aligned in all three phases of the game. And I know that people make a lot of that with a defensive coach. You know, what are you going to do for this young quarterback? You know, and, um, you know, a lot of the guys that I've kind of patterned my game after, you know, a uh, a Jimmy Johnson, a Bill Parcells, a Mike Tomlin, Pete Carroll, Tony Dungy, Bill Belichick. Y'all, I think what those guys represent to me, because they all had quarterbacks, you know, that were young. Uh, I think what those guys represent is alignment with the leadership of their team and their system, continuity of their system. Like, hey, as a defensive coach, you know that this guy is unique and I can give him this double education that can help his game, you know, really, really, really take off. Uh, but as a defensive coach, what you know a player needs is that continuity, you know. So regardless of who's running that offense, because as you know, with success comes transition, that the offense, all right, is really coming through you, not somebody else. You're not subcontracting a side of the ball, you know, that can be taken and then all of a sudden it evaporates, you know. So I think that that's what I was so excited about, Mike, was to be able to hire someone that has my vision and a shared vision for offense and knowing that we have to uniquely shape it for Justin because, you know, it's going to center around him. And I think that uh, that is what I'm looking forward to doing. So just to put it in more basic terms, this is going to be closer to Sean Payton and Drew Brees than say Mike Zimmer and Kirk Cousins where right or wrong, not being judgmental, Zimmer hands the keys to his offensive coordinator. And as it turns out, when you have good offensive coordinators, they leave to become head coaches. Whereas when you've got a coach who's tied to the quarterback, you do have that continuity. It sounds like you're going to be closer to Peyton, even though you come as a defensive coordinator, not as an offensive coordinator. Yeah. And I think, I think Mike, when you look historically, like Sean, you know, who, who is his biggest mentor, Bill Parcells, you know, and what Parcells and Belichick have been able to do with the offensive side of the ball is have continuity on that side of the ball. And that's why Bill Parcells got all those quarterbacks to play so well. Sims, Hostetler, Vinny Testaverde, Quincy Carrier, Tony Romo, like wherever he went, like they played well, you know? And it's the same thing with Belichick. You know, he's been in Cle uh, you know, in New England for 20 years, but it's, you know, Charlie Weiss, Josh McDaniels, Bill O'Brien, back to jo Josh McDaniels. And they've kept that system the same for Tom Brady. And I think that's the takeaway for me is – that you have to craft it around that guy and keep it, uh, you know, keep it so that that quarterback becomes the system, if that makes sense. Oh, it does make sense. And it's and I think it's something that will be very refreshing and and also uh, relaxing for Chargers fans who may have looked at this as the beginning of a revolving door of offenses and offensive coordinators, because Justin Herbert is going to get guys hired and your presence is going to get guys hired and you're going to have every one, two, three years, a new coordinator. But it sounds like the offensive vision will be the same. And it, it doesn't hurt to have Justin Herbert, who, in my estimation, is already a top five guy. 
I mean, talk about a great job to fall into. Not that you fell into it, you earned it. But this guy, I don't think people realize, because the Chargers are on national TV a lot, how good this guy is. Yeah, Justin's really special. And I think that, Mike, you can't minimize the way he played this year. Global pandemic, no offseason, you know, no training camp, preseason. This guy gets thrust into the starting role really on game week. And to be able to perform the way he did, I think says more about his makeup than his physical gifts, you know, because I think there are a lot of physically gifted guys playing quarterback, Uh, maybe not as gifted as Justin, because there are not many guys 6'6 that, you know, have that mobility, that arm strength and, you know, all that the physical gifts that he has. But I just think what's under the hood of Justin is really what makes him special. And if you look back to Oregon, been through four, you know, systems in college and and, you know, Mike covering the league as a quarterback, it's the guys that can go through things, you know, and come on the other side of it. Those are the ones that are standing at the end, you know, competing for championships. And I think that certainly uh, we have a guy that, you know, we can say every game we feel good about our chances. One of the things the Chargers are going to be going through with is the idea that the Chiefs are in the division with Patrick Mahomes twice per year competing with them. Give me just a quick snapshot of what your approach will be. Will it be try to outscore them or will it be do everything you can to hold them under 20 points? I think you, if you look at the history of the league with, with guys as special as Patrick is, and he's, I mean, I think it's obvious to everybody that he's one of those guys that people are going to remember. Uh, it's very hard to hold guys like that down, you know, in big games. And I think that the, the analytics of the league, you know, certainly trending in the last, I would say, five to seven years would tell you that you better score more than 24 points to beat Pat Mahomes. You know, when I was in the league or when I was in the division with Denver, there was like this stat like through two years that, you know, there's only two teams that held them under 24, you know? And so, uh, you know, that's got to be a big part of your mission statement against him uh, is being able to score enough and then try to take away his turns, you know, limit possessions uh, and play a team game, you know, to uh, minimize, you know, the impact that that he can have on the game. And so, uh, you know, but you hit it on the head. You have to be able to score in this league, you know, against these premium players, these four guys that are playing this weekend in the final four, you better be able to score, uh, against these guys, um, you know, because, you know, they're that special. Last one for you, and I appreciate your time. I know you've been talking a lot. You'll be carrying around lozenges all weekend long after all the talking you've had to do. But you come from the Rams to the Chargers, two teams in different conferences. They play each other once per year in games that count. But there is a competition there. And the Chargers have kind of been, for whatever reason, the little brothers in the L.A. market. How conscious of you are that coming in? And what's what's your plan for changing that and making the Chargers the top team in the market? You know, Mike, I think, number one, I'm excited to be in a a market like Los Angeles. I think that if you're a competitor, you want to be where the action is. I think L.A. is one of the great sports cities in the world, let alone the United States. And I think, uh, you know, what I'm hoping to bring, Mike, to the Chargers is we're, we're not really focused on our competition. You know, we're focused on the Chargers, you know, and that's what to me, the great competitors I've been around they're not worried about anybody else. They're worried about their own game. And I think that that's what we got to do with our team, with our organization. And I think that that's what will resonate to our fans is we're not trying to compare ourselves to anybody. You know, we're trying to be the chargers. And I think that we got a lot of work to do, as you know, and, and we're excited to get started with it. I said that was the last one, but I'm a former lawyer, so I always have one more. Five years from now, when we consider five years ago where Brandon Staley was, five years from now, Where's Brandon Staley going to be? Well, I, I'm hope I'm 43 years old. Hopefully, I make it. Uh, you know, certainly. Uh, but you know, I, I I think that 
a big goal of mine, you know, starts with establishing a program of consistency. I think that any elite competitor wants to be, you know, known as a consistent, you know, performer. And I think that for the Chargers uh, to be viewed that way, then we're going to have to beat all these great teams, you know, in our side of things, starting in our division. And we have to have a brand of football that stands the test of time, you know, and I think in the NFL, that's really difficult to achieve uh, because it's so competitive, but I know that we can do it. And so in five years, I'm hoping that teams will say that is one of the elite teams. That's one of the elite franchises in the NFL and that they do things the right way and that they're not going anywhere anytime soon. Well, you got the right quarterback, and it looks like the Chargers also have the right coach. And we appreciate your time. All the best to you and your family. Congratulations on an incredible week, and uh, good luck moving forward. Thanks a lot, Mike. Great to meet you. family has found a new home the office is streaming now exclusively on peacock whether you know every quote or you're a newbie to scranton you can stream every episode again and again and again and again sign up at peacocktv.com to stream now the office is awesome you may have to watch some of it tonight while working on profootballtalk.com plenty of things to write about plenty of things to think about plenty of things to talk about shireen great question from at gong show west is bill belichick Rooting for or against Tom Brady this weekend? Or for or against Bruce Arians? I would assume he's going to be rooting against Bruce Arians, hoping that Tom Brady can't win one without him because it certainly makes Bill Belichick look better to say, hey, we were a good pairing and it only worked when we were together, not when he's with Bruce Arians. It was about the coach and the quarterback, not just the quarterback, Mike. Yeah, we're not eventually going to have a ton of data points we can look to in this broader question of how will Tom Brady fare without Bill Belichick and vice versa. We'll only have as many seasons as Brady plays. And based upon his own timeline, he's got two more. Well, he's one for one in getting to the conference championship round. And Belichick is 0 for one in getting to the playoffs. So the sooner you pull the plug on Brady, the less glaring it looks. So, look, I... I Patriots fans, Tom Curran told me earlier this week that some are aligned with Brady and want him to win. It's no threat to the Patriots. Others are aligned with Belichick. And I think if you are a Patriots fan at some level, you don't want anything to undermine your accomplishments. Tom Brady going elsewhere and winning, you could argue in a weird sort of way, undermines what he did with the Patriots. Oh, no question, Mike. We had that whole debate when they moved on from Tom Brady. Was it the coach or was it the quarterback? And I'm still of the mind that it was both. Even if Tom Brady wins another one this year, I still think it was the both that made that dynasty. I don't see a Bucks dynasty coming uh, with this, again, like you said, over the next two years. Even if they win it this year, they're not going to win two more, I wouldn't think, to have three in a row, which, again, would make Tom Brady the GOAT, which he already is, I guess. And here's the key. And I can say this with absolute certainty because there is no way I can be proven wrong, which is the best way to express absolute certainty. (laughs) If Tom Brady was still on the Patriots, there's no way in hell they'd be playing this weekend against the Bills or the Chiefs. No No way, no how. They, They may not have even made the playoffs if Brady had stayed with the Patriots. 
And it's a great point, Mike, because I completely agree with you. I think I don't think the Patriots would be where the Buccaneers are this year. It took him going to a really good team to make this happen, and it's worked. It's worked for Tom Brady. It's worked for the Bucs. It didn't work so well right. for the Patriots. Who you got this weekend? I got the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. I'm going with the two home teams again, Mike. Stick with those home teams. Taking the scratch. Taking the scratch. We'll see how it goes. Everybody enjoy the weekend. See you on Monday.